Hello and welcome to the Maximo Theater and Performance Podcast. This is our special year-end episode. We're posting half of the episode this week and half next week. Enjoy the show. Okay, are we ready to start? Yes. <laughs> Pretty good. Thank you. Woo! Happy holidays. Okay. Yeah. As always, we start by introducing ourselves. Patty, you begin. This is Patty Devery of the Maximum Podcast, formerly of Patty and Emily, and also the Three Day Rental Podcast, if you want to talk about 90s movies. Yay, Oren. Like Titanic. Hi, this is Oren Squire for New York Theater Review. Jose. Hey, this is Jose Solis from Stage Buddy. Jack. Uh, my name is Jack Moore. I'm the associate dramaturg for new writing at the Joseph Pat Public Theater, and my views are my own. <laughs> and Ben. I'm Ben Ferber. You might know me from Hot Pepper Theater or from the Portland, Maine review of one of my plays that backhandedly complimented me for my contextual use of the word cunt muffin. <laughs> Delightful, Liz. Context is everything. It's Liz Richards from Fuck Yeah, Great Plays uh, or the Bloody Date Night podcast if you want to hear her talk about horror movies. Mm. And Penny Maria. Hi, Penny Maria Jackson here, marketing director at the Apollo Theater. And I also review shows with my colleague Emily on To See or Not To See. And this is Lindsay. I'm going to edit this podcast. And we are sadly missing Deep. She yes. has already gone home for the holidays. Bye, Deep. Bye, Deep. We Can love we you, just Deep. say congratulations on Doug Jones? So this is for the record for years later. Yes, yes. Uh, yes. Winning the Alabama senator seat that was held by Jeff Sessions. And Lindsay yes. was a major campaign worker down mm-hmm. there in Alabama the last two months. Yes. I was just a foot thank soldier. You. Just a small little cog in a giant wheel. But From my you. perspective, you did it all alone. Right. Lindsay is the new senator from Alabama. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're saying. Yes. And she yes. is fabulous. Lindsay's fucking boots on the ground, man. Okay. We have uh, gathered here today to discuss the year that was in theater and we're going to go around swiftly and answer a bunch of questions. I don't know about swiftly with this crowd. There are a lot of us here, so we're going to get... But we only got half the questions, so... What do you mean? Because we didn't take questions. You got all the questions we are going to... (laughs) Yes, exactly. We're not getting extra questions. In comparison to previous years. Yes, yes, I'm sorry. What do we do if listeners have questions for us? Do we... They can submit them to you via Twitter. Great. Not me. (laughs) Are we allowed to answer them? You may do anything Look, you want on I your own. I think Lindsay's really exhausted from winning Twitter a campaign, yes. and we can't bother her anymore. Okay, first questions. Question: If you had relatives, smart ones who enjoy good theater, coming to town for the holidays, what show currently playing in New York would you recommend? Patty, I know you said quick answers, but <laughs> this question kind of bums me out because I want to show people, I want to send people to shows that they like for their tastes. I get where you're going with the question, and I guess I would say Hello, Dolly, but one of my favorite things to do is find out what kind of show people want to see and then send them to that show. So I don't know if it's a question that I could across the board answer, but I guess Hello, Dolly. Jocelyn Bio's School Girls, or the African Mean Girls oh. play at MCC, and I'm going to say Describe the Night by Rahi Joseph at Atlantic Theater Company, which as I was seeing it, I knew it was going to get a bad review because it is one of those plays that reviewers don't get because they don't understand history, context, or anything anymore. They just want a relationship story. But it's an epic 
two intermission sort of play if you want to dig into a three-hour Angels in America type Fantasia about history, Isaac Babel, communism, and revisionist memory. I guess it depends on whether they've been to New York before or not. Because if they haven't, I would send them to SpongeBob, no question about it. Yes. But if they yeah. have, I would send them to the Benz visit because we all could use a little empathy and, and really wonderful songs every now and then. Jack. Uh, are they still doing that bubble show? Go to the damn bubble show, uh, and then when you're done with that, I I could not second Schoolgirls more. I just saw that on Friday because I'm the last person in the American theater to see that amazing play, and it's it is deceptive in its simplicity. It is fan- a, a utterly fantastic play, and and um, everyone should see that. The other thing I would throw out there, even though I haven't seen its current run at New York Theater Workshop, is 100 Days by the Bengsons. That piece, we had it under the radar at the public in January. It's quite a lovely musical, and uh, I would say check that out. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Not a fan of 100 Days? Um, Ben, what what do you think? (laughs) I liked it for the record. I was not super a fan that's fine. Moving on. Well, fine, go, no, but don't mind. I was answering the question I was asked. So uh, I would send people, if they are here before the end of this week, to Today is My Birthday by Susan Soonhee Stanton. It's at the New Ohio Theater. Plays through Saturday the uh, 23rd, 7.30 p.m. every day except for Saturday, which is at 3. Uh, it's 30 bucks. And uh, it's this really weird play that's only on the phone about a journalist who fails in life and moves back home to Hawaii and goes through a lot of very strange scenarios. Uh, if you're not here uh, before then, come see The Wolves, which is at Lincoln Center Theater. Mm-hmm. It's been talked about on this podcast at length. It is wonderful. If you can get a ticket. Mm, yes. Yeah. And if you can't get a ticket to that, go to Puffs. <gasps> yeah. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, whenever you say this, I always think of my family who's not particularly theatrically adventurous, so I'm sending them to Come From Away. Mm-hmm. It's a nice musical. It's yeah. heartwarming. It's very holiday uplifting. It's very New York, and you still get the Broadway splash and flash that I think a person who comes to New York and wants to see a play wants, or a musical. They don't ever want to see plays. They want to see musicals anyway. <laughs> um, so you might as well take them to Come From Away and mm. enjoy that. I'm going to second that. That was actually uh, one of the shows that I think will translate well for people who aren't New Yorkers and don't see a lot of uh, theater. Um, Also, I feel like everyone can relate to Wicked, especially my friends and family. It's a show about someone not letting societal rules or expectations keep them down. It's about defying gravity. (laughs) (laughs) I've heard about that. I heard about that one. What was your favorite moment at the theater this year? We'll start with Oren. There was a seven-day period in May where I was between New York City and Los Angeles, and I saw on Broadway Oslo and Indecent. So I saw two political plays on Broadway. I saw Susan Lawyer Park's Venus at Signature, Building the Wall, and then back in L.A., I saw Nikki Silver's The Lions in a tiny theater in North Hollywood by the road, and Carlisle Brown's Pure Confidence about Civil War jockeys, black Civil War jockeys who were really big back then, and then what happened to them after the Civil War when they were emancipated. And it was beautiful. It was in this tiny little black box 
uh, Sacred Fools Black Box on Melrose Boulevard or uh, Santa Monica Boulevard. And it was like two different time zones, big and small theater, political, historical, and then personal as well as experimental. And it was all in this like week long period. That sounds amazing. Jose? I can never pick just one thing. So I, I, I chose two extremes. The first one was sitting halfway through Hello Dolly when the elderly white lady sitting next to me turned around and yelled, this is like being in a rock concert, isn't it? And I was like, yes, it is, man. Yes, it is. <laughs> I had never seen white people so excited about anything. It was so cool. We love Bette Midler. We love yes. Bette. Yes. <laughs> and it was, and Jerry Herman. It was like, you know, like, I guess like Bono and like Springsteen and all those straight things. Like mm. Bette Midler was, <laughs> Bette Midler's my Springsteen. And then my other favorite moment was almost a year ago, and it was this tiny show called This is a Musical by a dancer called, a choreographer called Carol Tominski. It was this moment that was so fucking insane that I haven't stopped thinking about it for a whole year. And there was this moment where he was dancing, and the projection behind him was him getting fucked by, like, an alien. So, yeah, it was pretty awesome. (laughs) I, I have two as well. Um, I, it, it, the best I felt in a theater by something a show was deliberately doing was a, any given moment of Diana O's My Lingerie play at Rattlestick, the final installation. Um, a transcendent piece of performance that I could pick any moment from. The, the discreet moment, though, that I'll mention is actually when I saw a lot of the people also on microphone right now. We went uh, this past summer to go see uh, Three Musketeers at um, uh, Classical Theater of Harlem's outdoor space uh, at uh, the Richard Rogers Amphitheater. And there is this, it was a lovely show, but there was this, because it's outdoors and it's not ticketed, so you can, people can kind of wander in, sit down and move around and stuff. And there was this kid sitting behind us who every time that there was a sword fight, and it's Three Musketeers, so there's a shitload of sword fights, <laughs> this kid ran down to the front of the stage just to stare at the sword yeah. fights, and as soon as they were done, ran back up. Mm-hmm. And then and then as soon as the swords came out, he'd, he'd like go halfway down waiting for it to start, and then just make the full run to go watch. And I was like, that's the greatest thing. I just loved, I was kind of half watching that kid, uh, and I loved that. There's not a lot of spaces that allow for just kind of unrestrained joy and curiosity in theater and that was a moment that felt really rare and beautiful to me so my number one moment um and these are all basically like monologues or sections that like made the entire audience go what but the one that i actually want to talk about is there was a monologue in bull in a china shop at lincoln center three um by uh a character in short she is the student of a teacher who is having an affair with the teacher um, and the teacher has a partner, basically. And when the teacher and the partner get back together, it's like, uh, this student is basically like, I love you, I want to kill you, and delivers this insane monologue like to her window, like basically with a re- uh, boombox over her head. And the entire audience like once. It was brilliant. And it was delivered by Michelle Celine Eng, and it was just great. Uh, honorable mentions, which I'll drive by, um, the sausage in Porto made me literally go to a sausage restaurant. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And then also made me try to go to Porto and fail. Um, the stream of consciousness plot uh, in the at the end of the Antipodes made the entire audience's jaws drop. 
and oh, yes. uh, in Ducklings at Jack, uh, not you, the theater. Understood. Um, there was a section where uh, Christina Pitter did this insane uh, acrobatic dance. She played this like nerdy character who hated everyone, and then she turned out to be the best performer on stage, and the entire audience screamed, literally screamed. Uh, so I, I also have two. I'm sorry. Um, I went earlier this month to go see Jack and the Beanstalk at Abrams Art Center, which is uh, one of us productions. It's Matt Fraser and Julia S. Muse, uh, who have formed this company for sort of people from Coney Island freak shows and the burlesque world to put on panto shows for kids. And they did Beauty and the Beast, which was very much a, like X-rated version, but it was beautiful about their relationship and the way they came together um, folded in with Beauty and the Beast. So they did Jack and the Beanstalk, went totally the opposite direction, totally kid-friendly, panto. Um, and so I went, and as I expected, I was one of the few adults in the audience, and these kids were so excited to see a show. So many of them, it was their very first show they were seeing. There were so many birthday parties there. They were trying to peep in the keyholes in the lobby so they could see the warm-ups going on. And they were just, it was so infectious. And they couldn't, you would have thought, you were talking about Springsteen. It was like that kind of, they had their glow sticks. They were getting into participating, talking about Santa. It was just, it was just delightful to see these kids get super into a show that is being written about being a child in New York, very specifically. Um, and then kind of at the opposite end, I saw Betty Odessa at The Tank, which was written by Kev Berry, who's a friend of a lot of ours uh, from the podcast. And it he wrote it based on an, a story that I had told him uh, about a kiss and, the Kiss and Kill murder, uh, which happened in like rural Texas in the early 60s. And... I had said, you know, I just think the story is so wild. And, and, you know, there's a frame and someone was maybe framed for a suicide that wasn't actually a suicide and, and all this business. And then a little while later, he was like, I wrote a play about it. You need to come see it. And I was like, oh, you did it. There's, there's a show that, like, came out of my brain and is now on stage. And, like, that process was so fun. I knew every beat of every story, and I still had a great time. All right, so um, I have two. Uh, the Public Works program, it was my first time seeing it. Thank you, uh, Lindsay, for taking me with you as your plus one. Um, it was just so amazing to see these recognized, talented artists on stage with community artists who are just as talented but haven't received recognition yet. And just the energy from the audience was so amazing and the way everyone worked together uh, was phenomenal. And I really, really appreciated the spirit of that moment and being in that space with people from all different walks of life. And then also uh, my second favorite moment at the theater was uh, Kill Move Paradise at mm. National Black Theater. Um, it was my favorite, my one of my favorites, not because of the positive subject matter, but because it's something that needs to be discussed in the way that um, they put that show together and provided the different perspective of young black men and children dying, their lives being taken away, and what that must be like for them. Like, you know, people, I'm not sure everyone thinks about it as much, even though we see it in the media all the time. So those were two amazing experiences I had this year. Well, since everybody else said two, I only put one, but I can easily think of another one. Um, I also have a child-centric story. I took my nephew to his very first Broadway show this year, uh, and it was wonderful. He's kind of like a laid-back kid. He doesn't get super excited, like, outwardly. So 
for the first act ended i'm sorry we saw charlie in the chocolate factory and he had read the mm. book so he knew what he was in for which i didn't know i mean i read the book but and i know obviously the english roll doll is much more uh extreme than what the watered down american version of roll doll is but they literally like rip uh veruca salt apart and it was kind of crazy but at the end of act one he just like looked over at me and just went wow and like that's a big reaction from him because he is just such like a like oh that's cool kind of kid you know and it was i don't know ever since any of my sisters have had kids i sit there and go what's the first show i'm gonna take them to (laughs) when my nieces came to new york they were too little for like a full-on broadway show so i took them to see um john tartaglia's imagine ocean which was great um mostly i wanted to see it and then i was like i have children that i can bring (laughs) to it so i can't wait to take him to more and to take his little sister and brother to shows in the future and my niece who's 13 is coming for spring break for a visit so i'm trying to decide what to take her to and then my second one is that my friend Joel Escher wrote a musical that premiered off Broadway, uh, Pharma Bro, an American douchical about uh, Martin Screlly. And it was hilarious and wonderful. And he's in the, uh, the uh, BMI workshop and it came out of that. And uh, afterwards, I got to use the black Sharpie that I always carry around in my bag and had him sign my playbill. And it was wonderful. I'm glad that everyone embraced the favorite moment and came up with one or two that they really enjoyed because now we're on to what was your worst moment at the theater this year starting with jose okay so my third time going to come from away was could have been my favorite moment of the year because fucking justin trudeau showed up and it was like it was like, you know, like, oh, uh, yeah, again, another Springsteen, <laughs> Bette Miller kind of moment. He was just like fucking made out of like light, that man. He was so beautiful and his chin. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> but his date was the president's daughter. And all through the show, I kept looking oh, yeah. at her like blonde, you know, Oh, he took a bun. He took yeah. Tiffany? I don't want to say. I don't want to say their names. But yeah, uh, so all through the show, which I adore, I was seething. I was like, how dare he bring... I mean, like afterwards, I was like, oh, maybe he was trolling her because he brought her to a show about (laughs) empathy and being good to, you know, immigrants. And every time there was like, you know, like a line about immigrants, the entire theater turned to see her. (laughs) But, you know, like what what bothered me, what makes this my, my least favorite moment of the year was that it... Ask, it made me ask myself a question that I've been wondering all through the year. And it's, do bad people deserve the art that we use to escape what they're doing to us? Mm. And I don't know if she deserved to be there. She should have been at, I don't know. I don't. I can't even think of... Phantom. <laughs> even Phantom's too much fun. Cause, well, anyway. That's Put her true. in the chandelier. That's true. Put yeah. her in the chandelier. That sounds like a dissertation topic, actually. Yeah. yeah. That's really that's, powerful. You need yeah. to write an essay point. on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I love you, Justin Trudeau. And if you hear this, mm. I, I do love you. And I love you shirtless. So, oh, yeah, oh, bye. Great. He's probably looking for another date. <laughs> there you go. Oh, oh yeah. Canada. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 similar to that, I, I'm not going to name names um, be- for professional reasons. Um, but one of the things that I felt consistently, but had one sort of very discreet moment that was really strong, um, if we're talking about art as a place where people can escape to not deal with their shit, 
the thing I think I'm the most tired of in the American theater, and this is very true in New York, but somewhat, and, and also out in the regions too, but uh, it, it's particularly true here, plays and musicals that congratulate liberals for being so good. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. These are, this is a type of show that lets... One of the th- if, if the last year has taught us anything, it's, it's about how to look inward and figure out how we're contributing to a culture that we want to see change. And there are way too many shows that miss that point and instead remind us that don't worry, we're the good guys. And everything we're doing is great and everything that those bad people do over there is bad. And that over-simplistic dichotomy does not exist. And there's a, but there's a lot of culture, there's a lot of stories that reinforce that. And every time I sit in the theater of one of these shows, and I can probably think of just in my head right now, like five or six that aggressively do this, where I'm just like, we don't have time for this. This is not the world we live in. This is a fantasy world that you want us to live in, but it's not the world we live in. And, uh, and I would like us to, uh, to stop leaving theaters, patting ourselves on the back for being so nice and so tolerant and so blah. No, we, tell us what <laughs> implicate us. Yeah. The two the two hardest things to do in theater and two most important things I think are empathy and implication. And theater there's been a lot of theater this year that's really amazing and empathizing with people who may not be like you sitting there in the audience, but there's not a lot of theater that actually implicates the audience as being part of the problem. And that's my rant. Mm-hmm. No names were mentioned. And lead with black women, politically and theatrically. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So yes. just listen to them. And mm-hmm. that's the barometer of what needs to be done. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Easy. Very well said. Coming yeah. from a black woman. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. All right, it's story time. So, <laughs> uh, I don't think I've ever told this story in full. So, there is a show uh, back in January um, at a festival. It was called Top Secret International. It was at the Brooklyn Museum. Yeah. Did you see this? It was in our festival. Well, it under the radar. Yeah. Well then. So, <laughs> please um, continue. Here's here's what happened in that show. What's supposed to happen? Um, they give you like headphones and like a device. And the, it, you walk around the museum, and when you enter certain geofences, um, it tells you where to walk. It tells you things about like the history of spies, um, and then you can make choices by like walking into a different room, and it'll say like you can go here to hear about this, you can go here to hear about this, um, and you, you, you just follow the instructions. You make the choices based on what you want to hear. Um, the show was supposed to be, I believe, like 45 minutes to an hour at the very most. So I got somehow trapped by their system, following all the rules, in an insane feedback loop that made me experience this show for like two and a half hours. Oh my god. Um, I went near the end of the day, and so the museum was closing, and they were like trying to kick me out, and I was like, I don't know what to do. Can I just finish the show? I like went, like, I got like technical support. They were like, we don't know what's happening. We don't know what's happening. And I was like, can I just finish the show, guys? Can I just finish the show? It was, it was like a, a oh. fever nightmare, and I was trapped. I was trapped in. Why didn't museum. you just leave? Well, I had their equipment. <laughs> oh, well, okay. And I was lost in the museum. I see. Okay. Uh, okay. okay. Right. Right. So, um, maybe yes. that was part of the experience. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds so scary. No, thank you. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was fucking bullshit, guys. <laughs> Uh, another bad experience I had was I saw a show where you play a virtual reality game and you bow, but it was the worst programmed virtual reality game I've ever seen. Mm. Oh, that one. Kavartan? Yeah. Kavartan. 
so I I do have two. Um, one was Evening at the Talk House, which just made me so angry. Wallace Shawn, I think, is like my nemesis. <laughs> and I was so angry oh. that I was given a free ticket to basically watch Wallace Shawn wear pajamas and eat for two and a half hours. <laughs> I was like, that's what he he wrote the show so that he could wear pajamas and just eat. Because that's all he did on stage for two and a half hours. And then friggin' Matthew Broderick just came on stage, oh. ate a bunch, and made out with a 20-year-old girl. And that was the end of the show. And I was like, what? This is the most self-indulgent. <laughs> it's like the Adam Sandler comedy of the stage, you know, where you get all your buddies together. We're just going to write a show so we can do all this stuff that we really want to do. Ocean's 12. Yeah. Oh my God. So that Wait, just made why me... are we defaming Ocean's 12? Oh, that's the one that they just made to have fun together and it wasn't very good. And then they made a Ocean's 13 as an apology to the audience. I love Ocean's 12. He has a Julia yeah. Roberts. We're going to need a separate yeah. podcast Uh-oh. to discuss this. <laughs> While we're talking about it, Star Trek Five. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's um, number two. So yeah, so so that play just made me angry. I was just mad that it was a play that was getting the stage at this time and this, that, the other. Um, so then my other is is more. I brought this upon myself. Um, I g- went and saw Ziki Theaters Macbeth, the Polish theater company that did Macbeth, uh, in a shipping container at a yes. recycling center in Bushwick. Um, yeah. No, ma'am. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I took I took my my dear sweet fiance who went okay, um, <laughs> and we went on a Saturday afternoon. It was late September, and it was that day in September where it was like ninety five degrees. <sighs> so we sat in basically a sweat lodge and watched um, Macbeth for ninety minutes, and we were just dripping. We were miserable. There was no water. There was no. I, they they shut the little the shipping dinner door behind you and lock it and we're just like well oh, no. we're here now mm-hmm. all right and it was miserable mm-hmm. and um honestly if we were not already getting married i probably would be single now because he was <laughs> so angry and it was it was the worst it, it was a great test of a relationship though i'll tell you that mm-hmm. it was great but um the show itself was fine just the whole circumstance around it was the worst thing mm. No thanks. Yeah, I know. I'm slightly mortified. Yeah. Oh, it was. It was Mm -mm. Mm -mm. locking me in someplace. No. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Are you? Uh, That's it. That's what I got. (sighs) Okay. Well, (laughs) the my worst moment at the theater. uh, The show kind of locked me down emotionally for a second, (laughs) and I had to unbreak the bond. Um, It was quite intense. So I recently got to see uh, Once on This Island on Broadway, um, which I was never really a fan of the show because of the plot. But I heard that it was updated and modern. So I went in thinking, oh, the end is going to be completely different. Enjoyed the, the, the production value, the lights, the songs, the choreography. I was really loving it. And then the show started to end. And I realized it was going in the same place that it always had. This black woman who almost dies as a child in a hurricane, somehow she says the Lord saves her life or the gods save her life and they, you know, give her a second chance. And she, in my opinion, throws away that chance at a second life for a wealthy white man who she sees one time and falls in love with. So at the end of the show, she's dead. And this man is off living a wonderful life married. Um, So that was just, I I was, I was really taken aback by that. I'm so upset that 
these shows that are horrible and set in these periods that are not progressive at all um, keep getting being put on again and again and audiences you know are paying good money to see that and you know it was just really frustrating and I'm still kind of reeling from it um, I mean this is not to the performers I understand you know they they need a check and this is a great time for them to shine and is the choreographer Camille Brown I know her work I, I understand that but the producers who decided to bring the show back no no Next year is going to be a rough year in that respect because there are so many shows coming back that just need to be locked in a vault and God, forgotten. Yeah. I mean, when we were talking about Miss Saigon with Deep, it's like, really, though? Really? Yeah. With all these wonderful new plays and musicals being created? Wow. <sighs> I'm going to stop before I go off. <laughs> <laughs> That's not necessary. You can go off. Well. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, Patty. I guess 1984. That's about it. <laughs> yeah, I heard about that. Uh, I mean, I think they they gave it like a gimmick when it doesn't need a gimmick. It's strong enough storytelling, and I I read the book multiple times, and I was thoroughly confused about the framing device that they used. It was completely unnecessary. The performances were strange, and uh, I rarely wish I didn't see things, but that's one thing that I could have not spent money on. That is a damning statement. Oren. I'm going to go with the old reliable, which are big bloated Broadway productions that are undercooked mm. and based around having a celebrity. I know it's what we mentioned like every other year, but the Parisian woman by Uma Thurman and by Uma Thurman. Uh, I'm sorry, by, <laughs> with Uma Thurman and uh, Bo Willimon and Madame Butterfly with mm. Clive Owens. And it makes you wonder why is this being done, except for the fact that you have these stars. And it's even more depressing because these stars, their heart is in the right place. They, they want to do theater. So they go to their agent, probably saying, I want to do theater. And then the agent tries to figure out a way to curtail that desire for a visceral experience by giving them a big bloated safe undercooked play which is like a bad second tier tv movie and upcoming uh, chrissy metz of this is us is going to be a neil abutes fat pig oh, oh my yeah. god don't I get saw. me started. which you is know, not so angry. only not <sighs> only is, is it a revival it's a revival of a play that's going to be done in the same theater it was done initially and it's like, oh, Chrissy Metz, she wants to do a play. Well, she's fat. This I is the we'll second do time she's pig. doing Fat Pig this of year. Of course it is. I mean, oh my God, it makes me so angry. Gross. Yeah. Neil Butte, gross. So we'll have so many worst moments for 2018. <laughs> <laughs> Should we all just breathe that. together for a minute? Yeah. What do we all anticipate hating in 2018? That's <laughs> yeah. the next question. No, it's not. Okay. Starting with Jack. Mm. What was your favorite non-traditional piece of theater you saw this year? In this question, we're talking about immersive, experimental, outdoor type things. Yeah, um, I think, I don't know if this quite fits into that bucket you just described, but I already sort of mentioned it. So the My Lingerie play by Diana O oh at Rattlestick was I, just one of the best theater pieces I've seen in a long time. 
and you know, I had a lot of lovely conversations with people who also saw the show about like, is this really theater? For those who didn't see it, uh, Diana O has been doing these installations for the past, I think, year or two years, couple of years, couple yeah. years now, um, uh, that have sort of these, these pop up concerts with, with sort of. Uh, with text, with monologues, um, popping up in various uh, places in New York City, and the final one was at, uh, including one that was in Times Square, um, and uh, right, right in the middle of Times Square, and this final installation was at Rattlestick, and it was this, like, I talked earlier about empathy and implication, and this was a show that I felt like did both. It felt like a safe place, it felt like a warm place, felt like a loving place, but it also felt like a place where we could talk about real shit and the ways that we contribute to the very things that we can that we um, that frustrate us and that we complain about. Um, it felt like uh, a frustrated cry as well as sort of like a, a hurt love song to everyone in the room. It is it it did the thing that immersive or audience participatory, participatory theater rarely does, which is it doesn't isolate the audience. It actually kind of welcomes them in to this beautiful, at times very triggering conversation. Um, and I just left so warm and hopeful and a little bit shaken after I saw it. Um, and Diana is just an incredible performer and songwriter and the ideas in the show, someone's head got shaved every night um, on stage. It was particularly uh, uh, very voluntary. Um, but there's a lot of little moments of, of sort of silly transgression that built up into this big sort of political cry that I just, I was, I'm obsessed with it. I think about that show once a day. Um, it, it felt like the thing we all promised we were going to do when Trump got elected in the theater. We all promised we would do shows like these, and, and very few people did, but, but Diana did. Um, also a January festival thing. Um, there was an installation that was talked about on the podcast called Work Table, mm -hmm. um, and it was in Brooklyn at the Invisible Dog, and it was so therapeutic. <laughs> it, yes. uh, what you did in it was... You went into the space. There was a bunch of bookshelves with various objects on them of various types. You picked one. You went into a private uh, area. You destroyed it. Basically, you were supposed to completely disassemble the object, um, which generally involved extreme violence, like hammers and saws. Right. Like, I smashed an alarm clock and then took it apart piece by piece, gear by gear. Um, you put it up into a little dustpan, and uh, you put it in an area with other things that have been destroyed. You pick another thing that's been destroyed, and you put it back together with tape, string, mm. glue, which is also therapeutic. I put a like large like Nikon camera back together. That sounds hard. Um, and then you take that to an area, and they'll put it in a big art installation of various things that have been reassembled in various ways. Huh. It was so I want to do it again. I want to do it a hundred. I want to do it once a year. Um, there was one other thing I liked, which was uh, Hansel and Gretel at the Park Avenue Armory, mm. um, which was they. You were in a dark room, a huge dark room. They followed you around with drones, and they projected images of you, of you onto the ground. It was like high concept, but I liked the tech. That sounds very scary. Yeah. I, I, I also, table. I would do work table. If work table was a place I could stop in once a week, I would go. Yes, I don't understand why there are not little shops. Yeah, just like a shop. And you're like, you want to take this teapot off the wall? Fantastic. Shattered into a million pieces, which is what I did. And it was very exciting. Mm -hmm. um, I, I can't expand too much more than ejected on my lingerie play, except I have been telling you guys to go see Diana O's work for like three years now. 
And I am so happy that she had something big and wonderful that was just like a big glittery hug with a middle finger um, that you could go to. And then the fact that it got a huge write-up in the Times, I was just like, yes, I'm glad. Not only is this getting attention from theater folks, but is now getting into the New York Timesy crowd, which... I saw it towards the end of the run, and I was definitely next to some women who were there because of the Times review, didn't know what they were getting themselves into. One woman's phone went off, and Diana was like, that's cute, but it's not happening again. And it rang again, and so Diana answered the phone and talked to the person on stage, on mic, for about 15 minutes, and then we went back into the show. 15 minutes? Yeah, it was it was <gasps> significant Take chunks that, of time. Patty because the woman, the woman who had called, I guess, didn't realize that Diana wasn't the person who she had called (laughs) and was like, oh, is this Linda's daughter? (laughs) And it was ridiculous. And I was like, you know what? I'm glad we're having these moments. I'm glad we're here. I'm glad this is weird. I'm into it. But Diana, it it feels so safe. So even when she's telling you, like, go fuck yourself, you're like, yeah, I should. I should go fuck myself. (laughs) I'm terrible. Um, And I appreciate that. If your cell phone rings, please answer it and tell them you're at the flea theater. Exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. That. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my moment was at the Harlem Arts Festival. And just so you know, I, I have been selected to be a part of the Artist Selection Committee for 2018. So I went this past summer to check it out. And, I mean, it was just the the show that I saw, um, they kind of took us into a church. And in each area of the church, you had a native person from Harlem or someone who had been there for a significant number of years tell their story. And it was, um, you got to see this entire beautiful building, a place that I've passed several times and I've never entered myself, um, but then get these unique and individual stories. There were songs, um, someone was jumping rope they incorporated dance and movement into it um there was one young man who was injured i believe playing sports and was now in a wheelchair so um i don't know it was just something like you got a chance to hear stories from people you probably would just pass on the street um and i like that they gave uh people from the community a chance to get to interact and you know know some of their neighbors it's really great experience um, I saw an almost all-female cast concert production of Jesus Christ Superstar at the Highline Ballroom, which was amazing. It was uh, Shoshana Bean um, was Judas, and Morgan James was Jesus. The only non-cis female in the cast was Alex Newell, who was um, Mary Magdalene. And I think they're going to do a record of it, actually. I just saw that. With at least Shoshana and Morgan James. I don't know if they're going to try and get, like, everyone who participated, but probably a handful of them. Um, And it was amazing. I mean, Jesus Christ Superstar is crazy and nonsense and amazing, all rolled into one, which is true of most Andrew Lee Weber. (laughs) Um, And I was standing near Constantine Maroulis for most of the show, who was so into it that it really just made me very happy. I mean, he's a nut job in a delightful way. But um, he, I was like really excited for Gethsemane, and then he turned around. And he was like, "It's coming, it's coming," and I was like, "I know, Constantine." <laughs> um, and uh, Morgan crushed it, and it was amazing. And when the album comes out, you should all get it. 
Okay, for me, I had to go back to February. I was in L.A. finishing up a long week of work, and I had already bought tickets for a show called Mess at Theater of Note in Hollywood, which is right off of Sunset Boulevard. I did not want to go. I talked to my boyfriend at the time, and I said, let's just watch Netflix and stay home because I don't want to pay for parking. And I listened to myself say this, and I realized, oh, my God, this is how I'm going to die. <laughs> I'm going to be like, let's just stay home and watch Netflix, parking, and the kids these days, pull up your pants, and then just, like, you know, shoot me in the head. And so I, I caught myself saying that, and I, I said, okay, we have to go to this one-woman show about an actress in L.A., that seems like a really bad version of the La La Land character in her one-woman show. And I was like, ah, parking was cheap. Yay. We <laughs> went in, and no, there was very few people there. And it was a one-woman show by Christine Vang Ness about quantum physics, being an actress in Bible study camp. And she handed out instruments. We all got an instrument from a box, and we passed it around. And there was only like 10 of us in the audience. And she conducted us in these different pieces where we would bang our cymbals, or if you had a kazoo, you'd be going along. And she would make up this improvised song about quantum physics. And then it slowly blended into these weird incidences that happened to her in Bible study camp when she was a kid. And I've never walked out of a play where I got into such a deep conversation about quantum physics moments in my life, things that are abnormal, that aren't usual. And it was like a crap's last tape mixed with like a stand-up routine. And it was by one woman who, an actress who wrote her own play, which are told, do not do that, in a tiny black box theater in Hollywood. It has all the signs of like, loser, tape to it. <laughs> and it was brilliant. And afterwards, I told people about it. We had conversations with my friends, like, what are some quantum moments in your life spiritually? And everyone at first would think, no, I didn't have any. And they go, wait a minute, this thing happened to me. And then it would lead into this whole deep discussion that lasted for a week because of one woman deciding to put this play out that was about her heart and about her life, despite the ridicule, despite people like me thinking, oh, God, a one-woman show in, in Los Angeles, despite the fact that it's in a tiny black box in Hollywood across from Arclight Theater and the 20 different movies you can see. Uh, and it made me appreciate theater when I was at a low point, tired, and Trump had just got elected a few weeks ago, and thinking, like, what's the point of this? So to Christine Vang Ness, who will probably never hear this in Los Angeles, <laughs> and to other artists like that who are still striving and putting their, their heart out there, I thank you. Hmm. So I... You know, from someone who... Am I the only non-American here? Looks oh, like okay, it. Okay, okay. So <laughs> apologies to anyone if I'm about to offend you. I don't know. There are so many ways you could yeah, classify that. I right. was struggling uh, a little bit, well, but you know, I was like, born here. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, as, the, as someone who wasn't born here, who comes from a part of the world where there have been way too many, you know, U.S. Army, military, whatever, back coops that have, like, fucked up the entire region where I'm from, I have a very complicated relationship with the idea of the of the U.S. military. However, I love the aesthetics of World War II and Americana during that era. So my favorite immersive thing this year was going to that giant boat 
uh, the USS Intrepid. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> that big boat. Yeah, because I do love, you know, like anything coming from like Hollywood musicals and all that stuff mm. from the World War II era. So going to the Blueprint specials, which was uh, a series of shows that had just been rediscovered uh, that were written, musicals written by Frank Lesser and choreographed by Jose Limon, uh, which were put on back then to entertain the troops. Uh, while they were, you know, fighting the Nazis, which, yeah, I, I don't like the Nazis, so that we can agree on. Mm. But, you know, going to that boat was so cool because they had, like, helicopters and submarines and, like, Laura Austinus was there and Will Ooh. Swenson. And they were, like, they had, like, a band and Lindsay was there and there was snow and it was so much fun. Like, it I felt fun. it was like a time machine kind of experience. And, you know, even if I, w- I was, like, in a military thing, I don't like weapons, I don't like guns, and I don't like, you know, like, invasions and wars. But just being there, hanging out with a bunch of, like, really old people and seeing, like, Laura Alsness put on a musical was, like, a lot of fun. Hmm. So that was my favorite. And that was performed the music. There was, yeah, Laura Alsness and Will Swenson. There was a lot of active and retired military performing in the show, too, which I loved also. Just, like, it was, yeah, it was a a nice thing. Yeah, costumes and Laura Alsness singing, so, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Did he mention that Laura Osnes was there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, Lindsay. She's so yeah. pretty. I was but not performing, to be clear. She didn't I was sing. just in the <sighs> audience. Not yet. I, it, I will <laughs> never fail to be amazed in these end of year conversations how many callbacks there are to shows from the January festivals. Yeah. yeah. I, I always expect that to just sort of happen and then us to forget about it and move on to like the normal theater. But inevitably, in these conversations, those shows come up all the time. It's awesome. I love it. How can you forget that giant boat? How can you? <laughs> that okay. is also where people see non-traditional things most, I think. Yes, sure. Uh, my in response was also to that in question. January, though, not part of the festival. <laughs> <laughs> and now that the French Festival is... Well, now that the French Festival didn't run this past year, mm. I guess. Yeah. yeah. January we didn't see as much. Yeah. Okay, next question. What was your favorite non-theater performance? So here we're talking about things like cabaret, comedy, concerts, music, etc. Ben, you're up. So I see very few of these. Um... And I only saw two cabarets this year. One was barely even a cabaret, and I loved both of them with my entire heart. Um, the one that I saw most recently was called Amanda Schechtman Hates to Sing. Um, it was the duplex. Uh, Amanda Schechtman was the headliner. Um, you may have heard of her. She's like an actress singer, mm-hmm. and she was on American Idol and had some very, very mean headlines written about her um, because she like cried after being selected, mm-hmm. um, basically. Um, so she did. She she did some jokes about that. She played like the actual multimedia of like her on American Idol, um, and she like sang a bunch of original material, which was brilliant. She sang. Uh, she wrote a song which was the like I'm a quirky main character in a musical Ugh. like lady song, and it was it like it sh- it's better than anything Forbidden Broadway has ever done ever. Mm. Um, the other thing I saw was called. Um, it was literally at my friend's apartment. So like. <laughs> 15 people have seen this. It was called Riccio Sings Nilsson Sings Newman Live. And uh, it was, there's an album called Nilsson Sings Newman, which is a different singer singing Randy Newman's songs. It's a very weird, obscure Harry album. Harry Nilsson? I think it so. It must yeah. be Harry Nilsson. Yeah, right. Um, and then my friend Taylor Riccio sang that album through himself um, with accompaniment by Chris Dennison. By the way, he walked in through the window. <laughs> um, he sang this album, like, very low-key, like, Taylor's singing voice, like, not super great, and that's part of the charm of it. And it was this brilliant piece of performance art um, that I, like, want to see again. Um, 
Yeah, cabaret performance art. It's great. So this year, I saw the New York Philharmonic for the first time, mm. which was very exciting. Um, I had grown up reading books about the Philharmonic and somehow had never made my way there. And so this year, I went and saw their season opener where they played, they showed Breakfast at Tiffany's and had the full Philharmonic and a full choir singing and, and performing the entire score, uh, which was beautiful. And I mean, that music is gorgeous. And then to hear it so fully was amazing. And I also want to give them a shout out because they did a little program for it and they had a whole page that dealt with the racism in Breakfast at Tiffany's and how do we, how do we reconcile this with showing this movie at this time and what Mickey Rooney was doing and not justifying it in any way, just being like, you know what, this is the context it was in. It's, it doesn't make sense. They shouldn't have done it. We can't remove it. So, and, and it was just, all the implications of what what that meant in, in a modern context, and I appreciate that they published something like that. And people, uh, executives, begged them not to do that. Yeah. In the backstory, they were like, "Please do not do this role," and they still went through with it. Yeah. Hmm. Um. So my uh, one of the moments I enjoyed most um, at a non-traditional uh, performance or theatrical performance was. Uh, Cheney Sims, who sung at Joe's Pub. So the backstory here, Cheney Sims, C-H-A-N-E-Y, um, was a colleague of mine. We worked together at Alvin Ailey. And one day she was like, uh, yeah, I'm leaving. I'm going to just go out on the road and, you know, try the singing thing. The following year, she was uh, nominated for a Grammy. And I was like, wait a minute. What? What? <laughs> Um, so, like, you never know, like, how talented your colleagues are. Um, but I actually got to see her at Joe's Pub, and it was so amazing. Her voice is so rich, so full of power. It, it's sultry. It's fun. She really played every moment. Like, she grew up taking theater class. I mean, every moment was uh, really amazing. And uh, I enjoyed it, and I'm waiting for her album. Fabulous. Patty. I saw Shaka Khan. Oh. Yes. <laughs> wow. And she was amazing. Of course she was. And, uh, well, right. Of course yeah. she was. But, you know, I mean, she's been working forever and she's 64 and she's been singing forever. And you never know how good people take care of their instruments. And she sounds so fucking good, you guys. Just amazing. And the energy and just, it was in, um, it was at, a, an auditorium at Brooklyn College and uh, which wasn't really far from my house and I had never been there before so I'm like I'm keen to see what else is going on at that theater um, and it felt like it was going to be a very like sit down stuffy situation and then obviously Shaka comes out and everybody gets into it and it was a really like great mix of people there um, you know people from the neighborhood and a lot of gays obviously um, but you know, it was just fun, and she sounds amazing, and I love her, and she's so beautiful. Clouds <laughs> is one of my favorite songs. Shaka Khan. It has it's like three mm. songs meshed together. <laughs> yeah, and the she way did, it flows. She did a lot of medleys and just mm. Rufus and great, 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 great. Tell me something good. Yes. On the good tip, uh, for me, it was Buto Beethoven at oh. Theater for the New City, and that day. One of the actors in 
in the blood gave me a ticket, so I went and saw that. I was hanging out with a friend who said, I'm going downtown to see a spoken word concert. So I went with her and sat there for like an hour and listened to this beautiful black spoken word poets in this tiny club in the West Village, like whisper these poems. And then a professor from NYU invited me to Buto Beethoven. And I've never seen Buto theater before. And it was an hour long in 30 minute sections with an intermission in between. And the first part of it, uh, the performer comes out and it's traditional Buto, which if you don't know, the person walks very, very slowly and moves, but they're supposed to be floating. And after that, I've seen bad Buto, where it just looks like people are walking slow. And you're like, I can do that. I can do that. <laughs> but really good Buto, apparently it's, it's like really good sake. I guess it's like subtle. It's like almost a floating ethereal sensation. And then she had this LCD dress and we were in complete darkness. And so as she's floating, the dress begins to light up and it becomes like the sky and we're in the night sky and she's moving through it. And it's like, it was, it felt like you were moving through a painting and this painting was like transforming in this very slow way. And all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, how'd she get from that part of the room to that part of the room? It hypnotizes you and you're almost like fall into this trance. And then the second part of Buto, as I've been told since I'm an expert now, I've seen two <laughs> Buto shows, is a little bit faster. So that was more Beethoven, and she was like this mad demonic com uh, conductor who was possessed. And so it went to these slow motions, and then it went in these very fast, vigorous motions, and there were all these pig heads on the wall, which I guess was like the audience or us. Hmm. And then they'd applaud occasionally, and it, it put you in a different headspace. And afterwards, we were talking about like poetry and other Buto theater, and it's not, it's uh, indescribable, and it's only an hour long. So you're out of there by like eight o'clock, and you've seen one movement of this slow transformation, and then you've seen another movement, which is a little bit more traditional. Uh, and then the other thing is Unwanted at Barishnikov Art Center, which was uh, refugees, Rwandan women who are uh, war refugees, telling their story through dance, very uncomfortable very visceral and it wasn't a pleasurable performance in that you sit there with your grandma and being like oh this is wonderful it's one of those things where you i kind of wanted to leave but then you realize that's the point and you're seeing their experiences through dance and this repetition of abuse until it becomes this rite of passage in some sick twisted way into art which is what we're watching uh, and it's still uncomfortable, and I, I I don't know if I'd recommend it for the the faint of heart, but those are my two untraditional. And my roommate, Hello Murray, at Murray Hill Cabaret Performance at Joe's Pub. Mm -hmm. First time seeing him, and he was very good. You know when you're friends with someone, and you're like, please don't suck, please don't suck. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, you see them Murray for the Hill. first time, and I was like, oh, you're good. Oh, what a relief. Uh, but uh, he's great. Yeah. Murray Hill. Buteau is so good. It's uh, for listeners who might be piqued in interest by Buteau. Um, one of the other big things about it is that a lot of it's based on the atomic bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, mm. and so the dancers are like uh, embodying people who were just, who were killed in the, by these bombs, and sometimes and so covered in dust. Yes, like walking mm. through like a ghost. Julie Taymor did an Oedipus with uh, a lot of Buteau in it, which I think you can find on streaming services, which I would recommend. Well, if you're a Buto expert, invite us. Or invite me the next time <laughs> you're, you're seeing a show because I, I want to see more. So if Mariah Carey hadn't canceled her concert the day that I was going, <gasps> oh. the, we, this would be a whole different <laughs> story. But so sorry for your loss. She did, so I don't know her. 
Um, <laughs> so my favorite wow. concert this year was the New York Pops birthday gala all the way back in May, which was dedicated. It was a tribute to Kelly O'Hara. So, mm. you know, you just have me at that. Like there was a moment when Rebecca Luker, Judy Kuhn and Mary Maisie came to sing a song for Kelly O'Hara. Nico Muley wrote a piece for her. Jason Robert Brown showed up to conduct for her. And it was just like, I don't know, like, you know, like if there was like a monarchy in the US, I feel that Kelly O'Hara would be the empress. Mm. So that was like fucking mind blowing. So, yep. Um, I have t- uh, two. One was um, an event that happened in the New York uh, Poets um, in uh, the Lower East Side uh, that was a, a book release party for um, Entezake Shange's uh, new book. Uh, of collected poetry and there were live performances by her as well as some of her friends who are poets and the thing that it was incredible poetry an incredible evening it was also just great to like like the audience was half like people who are like Entezake's contemporaries who like used to haunt around that space it was like the poetry in the theater scene from then but then it was like all of these people who like could not be older than 22 years old who clearly like just worship Entezake as all humans should and that, um, and there was like very little, uh, the, the gender, uh, I'm sorry, the, the age gap was amazing. I was just so struck by that. I was like, oh my God, this is a lovely thing. Um, but the thing that, uh, the other thing that I would have mentioned is a thing that actually happens in Chicago every Saturday that I sort of just found out about and am obsessed with. It's this thing called Paper Machete. And it is a happens every Saturday at three o'clock at a, a famous bar in the uptown neighborhood of Chicago called the Green Mill, which was this famous old bar that Al Capone owned. And every Saturday they do this thing uh, called Paper Machete that's uh, they describe as a live magazine. So it's sort of like SNL and The New Yorker had a baby in a <laughs> bar on a Saturday. And it's Sweeney's. Sort of, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's sort of a variety show, and there's like sort of magazine pieces, and there's performances, there's comics, um, there's essays, um, and uh, and like cabaret and, and songs and things like that. And it's some of it, a lot of it's very funny, and some of it isn't. It's all very, and it's all stuff that's plucked from the week's headlines. So I was just there actually last weekend, and the whole show was basically about Roy Moore because I was coming up. And uh, it was wonderful, and a wonderful sort of showcase for a lot of. Uh, Chicago artists who are sort of in between, you know, people who are performers and writers, and um, and people who are songwriters but also write essay. It was just it was it's a wonderful way of uh, uh, show- showcasing talent. So if you find yourself in Chicago um, with nothing to do on a Saturday afternoon, I would highly recommend going to Paper Machete at the Green Mill. Green Mills is also one of the temples of like spoken word poetry. Absolutely, one the, yeah. One of the foundations. So also and that's every Sunday. Yeah. So, you know, if you want to make a weekend of it. As someone who went to school in Chicago. <laughs> there you go. Al Capone loved spoken he word loved poetry. It. He did. <laughs> and slam poetry. Oh, did he ever. Thank you so much for joining us for the first half of our year-end episode of the Maximo Theater and Performance Podcast. We'll post the second half next week. If you have questions, comments, or opinions that differ from our own, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter at Maximu. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we have merch. You can buy coffee mugs, tote bags, and stickers with your favorite Maximu-isms on them. You can get to the store via Maximu.com. All proceeds go to helping the podcast improve our sound quality. See you next week. Theatrical Media.